This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. If I also consider myself, I am dead. I am dead from this life and this life has been given to me that if I use this life for the mankind, for a service to the humanity of the world, then even God can justify mm-hmm. that why did I survive. Hi everyone, Om Shanti. Welcome to Where East Meets West. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. It's a special collaboration between Epilog and America Meditating Radio. As you know, it's very important for me to bridge divides, but can you imagine if the East and the West come together, the amazing magic that would take place? My special guest in studio today is someone that I've known for a very long time and I can't tell you how much joy it gives me to be having this conversation with him on Where East Meets West. Ram Prakash Single is someone that's known me since I was in my 20s and he's been a member of the Ramakumars for many many years for about 47 years but he's also an engineer but guess what a survivor of 9/11. Stay tuned because we're going to be having a real heart-to-heart conversation about not only how he survived 9/11 but about his spiritual wealth and how he has become the man that he is today. So, just a little bit in terms of his bio, he's been doing his spiritual practice for over 47 years, an engineer for at least 30 something years, and is stationed in New York City. He has launched an amazing world project called 7 Billion Acts of Good, which he will talk to us about today, and he's just a man of great heart. So let us give a warm welcome to Ram Prakash Singhal to where East meets West. Rampakash it's so good to have you in the studio today. Oh thank you for having me Sister Jana. Your journey is fascinating because you came over from India how many years now? It's like uh, around 44 years. 44 years and you're only 25. When I came. <laughs> <laughs> when I came. So when you came what was going on in your life tell us. At, at that time uh, I was an engineer mm-hmm. and uh, I came to my brother actually from Alexandria Virginia and uh, I stayed with him for one and a half years and then I moved to New York Now were you working when you were in Virginia Yes I was working on the land development projects so it took me to Maryland took me to Virginia I was traveling around quite a bit most of the time I was spending time in traveling too Did America seem like this big big ocean and you felt lost when you came here Actually I did not. Oh wow. To my surprise, I felt so comfortable over here. And I don't know what was the reason, but some or another I felt that they are like uh, people in India. And only thing in in the beginning when I uh-huh. came, I said, "Oh, they are always very happy people." But then I saw them crying too. I saw them even uh, gossiping like anybody in India. <laughs> And then I said, "Oh, they do everything, but we do only difference. If we do in Hindi, they do in English." <laughs> I love that. So, when you went to New York, did you start working? Were you studying? Actually, um, I um, I was working over here, same company. Huh? They had projects, uh, project in New Jersey, and then they said, "Ram, you want to go over there?" 
and I jumped with joy. I said, because we have a center over there and I, I started right away working over there. So the center, are you talking about your spiritual tradition? Yes. Could you uh, tell us a little bit about your spiritual path? I, I came in contact with Brahma Kumaris as soon as I finished my, my uh, civil engineering uh, degree and they came in our house mm. and I saw their practical life. I see somewhere that authentic uh, joy on their faces. Yeah. They're eating simple food, wearing simple, but uh, they're talking so eloquently, nicely. And I could see the, you know, natural joy. And I thought they must be getting something. And I got interested in them. Mm, I felt the same way too. When my parents got involved with the Brahma Kumaris, I saw how much they changed because they were so different. And I remembered observing their transformation that became my message, like my teachings. Yeah. And actually, I was worried that if I come come from India, I will get lost here in America. Yeah. My spiritual life will go down the drain. But it was other way around. I became much, much more stronger in my spirituality, which I never imagined. Because somewhere I felt America needs me. Mm. I am. I have come here not to take anything, but to give. I mean, even in the early days, it's not that I was very rich person or anything. Nothing. I came with hundred dollars in my pocket, wow. and but somehow or another, I felt that I am here to share. What mm. I That's why whenever I hear immigrants talk bad about America mm. or England or anywhere else they are when they're outside of their country. I don't know why I feel a little bit agitated, like I feel like, then go back to your country if this country is so bad for you, then why are you here? But the fact that you shared that you came to share, to give, to offer, then this is what has made this particular country, America, so great. It's because of individuals like you. Yeah, in fact, I could say that, oh, yes, I studied over there in India, everything. But if I say my life was made, whatever I am, it's only because of America. Because of that. So tell me a little bit about your day-to-day -day routine as a meditator and as a yogi. Say, I get up very early. How early? <laughs> I don't want anybody else to do it, but I get up like 3 o'clock, okay. 3.30 or 4, you know, by 4 o'clock and 4 to 5 we do meditation. But then I find my next, uh, we do the meditation class around 7 o'clock, my those two, two and a half hours is very productive. Mm -hmm. I get so many things done rather than going back to sleep. I become very active and uh, uh, for many, many years I have done all the solutions, new um, ideas, whatever you want to do, those are the moments I utilize. They say some of the most successful people get up between four, four like they usually get up at four, four thirty yeah. in the morning and between four and eight mm -hmm. is their most productive time. Right. Yeah, most successful people. So you work as an engineer or you have worked as an engineer at Port Authority for many, many years. That's correct. And America and the world witnessed the crumbling of the World Trade Center buildings as a result of the terrorist attack on nine eleven. You were in one of those buildings. Can you tell us a little bit about that day? Yeah, I was um, in the North Tower that was hit first. And when it hit, 
my first reaction was it's an earthquake mm. i even yelled people oh go down the tables or under the doors and but then building shook few times this way that way then it came to stand still then we thought it cannot be earthquake okay it goes for a long time as oscillation then we thought maybe a small plane hit it we could not ever imagine that the building will uh, come down and so that was beyond our imagination at that time did you ever feel like that morning when you woke up in your meditation did you get a premonition did you sense that something would have changed or something was going to happen actually i did not think that way but i remember that morning that i was very quiet internally for like i cannot pinpoint what that was but i was kind of uh, a little bit um, detached beyond or detached from uh, uh, for whatever reason and actually what had happened either same morning or morning before there was a very feeble earthquake in new york i felt when during meditation that ground was shaking a little bit but i didn't pay attention then they said it was like a 3.5 or something uh, earthquake had come and so my thought was maybe that was the uh, you know they say earthquake that, that you know, the before the big one comes the smaller one show up that was my thought but other than that i i felt very um, at peace many wow. ways well wow. um but does your morning meditations usually give you that peace or was this one a little bit unique oh vaulted center event i mean i cannot compare with any anything yeah. uh, some or another it was a time of crisis but it became i had profoundly positive experience of the vaulted center So tell us a little bit about that day you're in your office you feel the shake of the building your co-workers are with you what's the what's the atmosphere like that day inside the people started to panic what had happened in 1993 also there was a, a, a bomb explosion in yeah. the basement and because some people got stuck in the on the stairs while coming down for many many years on that day i had left about 10 minutes before this thing happened mm-hmm. just 10 minutes but this time i was going out of the office because uh, i was working on the projects uh, in uh, george washington bridge mm-hmm. and i was going for the meeting and then i came from the door because i had to re- write email to somebody and whilst i'm doing it bam Wow. So that's where I find somewhere there is a connection that even because I had to experience that it's amazing it's so hard to find the words for anything yeah. like this yeah. so as you were leaving the office and coming down the steps was there a lot of panicking or was it quiet in, in the beginning it was more of a frustration or oh, not again not again we don't want to work over here anymore and those kind of thing so more of a you know kind of resignation or we have to do evacuation again but when we heard second plane hit the second building we did not see it but we heard that is when people something is wrong this, something uh, is definitely wrong actually people even use oh that means the world war 3 has begun wow. even that somebody uh, um, brought up and uh, because who could ever imagine somebody coming and hitting the vaulted center that's like something in the james bond movie yes <laughs> like that you know and um, 
but but only when other towers started to collapse then our tower was shaking so badly plaster is falling floor is shaking pipelines are rattling with each other yeah. emergency siren you know one and a half hours we were listening to that siren and the flickering of an emergency light that is when people start to really panic So where were the firefighters in that time were you going down the steps Actually yeah when we went further down and uh, you know I remember I saw the fire fighters going up and the big gear you know they like 100 pounds or something carrying going upstairs I still remember because I had some connection with the firefighters even LaGuardia airport I was in the emergency response team mm-hmm. so I used to go to the fire marshal and other thing so I had that kind of feelings for them I could not see anything but what I will do with love I will tap on their shoulder mm. and say thank you thank you so much that much I remember I wow. did that you know So when you finally came outside of the building mm. what were you feeling what were you thinking what, what did you see See I saw you know this is the first time I felt what is the firestorm You know, we used to see tiny, tiny tornadoes around Voltage Center with the wind because the way the towers are located. So it is more like that. We saw the fire moving like uh, small tornadoes and the cladding, you know, those um, metal cladding, they were flipping one way or another. Mm-hmm. It was really kind of a scene. And then some of the debris were falling still from the Voltage Center. And we had to be very careful that we had to go under the uh, you know there is a um, kind of uh, uh, overhang so we had to walk underneath that so your building was still standing though when you came out yes What, how long did it take until it collapsed actually when we came out within five minutes we had gone away and we felt um, some kind of vibrations and we looked back our tower is collapsing and if the tower had toppled in our direction probably we would have been underneath but of course tower came down straight like that so and uh, we of course we uh, ran from there sure and, uh, but wonderful things you were asking that uh, what i felt even after coming i saw one lady she was little heavy and she just could not walk her knees were gone and she was crying i wanted to go back and uh, help her after coming out mm-hmm. but then uh, then the police uh, uh, officer they say no 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 you have to keep moving because they knew i did not know at that time other tower had collapsed but they knew the other tower had collapsed and this thing has no assurance to when this thing could also give in Wow. So wow. they just did not allow me, but I wanted to come inside. So a week or two passed and you found yourself going to funerals after funerals after funerals. And there was a moment where you shared with me before that you wondered why you were spared. Yeah, actually somehow i felt when i saw the family they were young people they yeah. were, were my friends we were in the same uh, division and all of a sudden no more and then i'm looking at their family i'm saying why did that person had to go why not me 
Where is the justification? I used to sit in the church or synagogue, mostly church, and I'm having self-reflection. I want justification, even though you, I never want to say, oh, that's your good karma, but that means other people are doing bad things or something. I never want to entertain this idea. Their time was maybe they had different role to play. Like if we say, oh, this life is like a drama, they had to play different roles. But still I was asking for justification. And then all of a sudden I felt, if I also consider myself, I am dead. I am dead from this life and this life has been given to me that if I use this life for the mankind, for the service to the humanity or to the world, then even God can justify mm. that why did I survive. So that made me feel that there has to be some higher purpose for my survival. Well, we're glad that you did because you started a wonderful project called Seven Billion Acts of Goodness. Tell us about the birthing of that project and what is it doing? See, actually, what had happened as I was always thinking of doing something good and then the question always is, what big you can do? So it was um, a Time magazine cover story, Happiness is Contagious. Mm-hmm. And they showed that uh, they did uh, um, research for 5,000 people for 20 years and their findings were when one person becomes happy, automatically few people become happy around them. Then those 5, 6 people, they make 25, 30 people happy. 25, 30 makes 150 people happy. Just one person's happiness. They gave the example of a pool table. One happy ball hit all the sad mm-hmm. balls. All the balls become happy domino effect. So I started to think that where the happiness comes from and I had seen in my life happiness does not come from position or money. Mm. It comes from when you are able to do something good for other people. You are able to uh, find something good about your own self and other people. That gives you joy. When you do something out of the way, that uh, the joy comes. And then I said to myself, so that means uh, goodness. But then I say goodness is very boring, you know. <laughs> I mean, um, uh, that, that um, person, one uh, person's um, act can shake the whole world. Why not goodness do the same thing? And that is where I thought of making goodness as dynamic. Mm. So what does the project um, entail? How do you get involved in it? See then, just to see that how the bombs explode, then I think of uh, atom bomb. How the atom bomb explode, the atoms hit each other, then they split, then they mix with each other, but a tiny portion remains free. And that tiny thing turns into nuclear energy and the conversion factor is E is equal to mc square. That means it becomes millions time bigger and the chain reaction ultimately when a uh, critical mass is reached, then there is explosion. I say, is it possible they do the explosion of all the, you know, uh, destructive explosion? Can we make it an explosion of goodness and happiness in the world? I was very happy. I was jumping, <laughs> thinking whether that is a possibility. Can that be possible? But when they think of the the exponential impact and the domino effect, maybe that is a possibility. 
and then the question was how many what is the critical mass then we thought there are 7 billion people at that time and if collectively we can perform 7 billion good acts maybe that will be the uh, you know critical mass to start the chain reaction mm. so this is how i said and then people say but what is act of goodness everybody says i am doing good thing i said then somebody had told me one time ram you always go above and beyond your duty or obligation that became the definition wow. act of goodness is something you do above and beyond your duty obligation and even your capacity it's like going extra yard you know in the metaphor for uh, yeah. uh, when we start talk about that means putting your all that is an act of goodness isn't it amazing how an act of evil mm-hmm. birth an act of good yeah see and that is you know like you say this is how we say they meet at the same point yeah. i find so many times like fear meets the courage crisis meets the opportunities uncertainty meets the faith so that is that i find that it's now up to me that in the time of crisis should i go down or should i lift myself much much bigger Mm-hmm. I take it like an opportunity. Well, it was an opportunity. So, how can individuals get involved with seven billion acts of goodness? See, I find you can start with your own self, being nice to your own self. How do you do that? Like, suppose you made a mistake. Now, I one thing I have learned: everything moves in one direction, time, situation. Supposing I, I go to even children's class and I talk to them. Supposing you broke a glass, can you bring it back? You cannot, but you can say sorry to mom, and then you say, "From my pocket money, I will buy two glasses for you." And supposing I don't have the money, you can tell your mom, "Mom, I will work for you two hours. Whatever you want me to do, I will do it for you, and that will be compensation of my breaking the glass." So rather than feeling guilt. if you can pat on your shoulder okay okay i'm sorry i won't do it again but i will make up for it so that is where i find loving yourself the way you are and forgiving yourself for your mistakes i find that become your nature to forgive others now you know what i do these days if somebody make a mistake rather than getting upset with them i forgive myself for something i have done maybe yesterday How do you do that because forgiving the self might be the hardest thing to do you know one of the things that the leader the former leader of the Brahma Kumaris Daddy Janki and the founder of Brahma Kumaris Brahma Baba said don't give sorrow but don't take sorrow and a lot of people will tell me sister jenna it's easy for me not to give it but it's not easy for me to not take the sorrow mm-hmm. so when we have to forgive ourselves it's very difficult for some of us you know that is where your honesty and sincerity comes did i do it intentionally yeah. because i find most of the time we make mistakes or do wrong things out of fear many times sometimes the things are not clear to us yeah. if we are clouded but sometimes the peer pressure too 
So yeah. that means lot of time I don't want to do it, but because of environment is negative, negative gets supported very quickly. Yeah, yeah. But the positive takes long time to. So why should we be positive if it's taking so long? See, see, that's the whole <laughs> point. There is a saying that the negative flies uh, or uh, uh, travels at the speed of light. And whilst the truth is limping behind, mm, so, so that is where people are kind of, uh, uh, you know, they give in. But because in my life I have done it many, many times, so I found that guilt doesn't take me anywhere. It only brings me down. Yeah. And what's the point? So in order to forgive yourself, I make a list of what good things I do. Mm-hmm. So in the time I did something wrong, I say, Ram, but you did so many good things too, na? Pat yourself for those things and make up for this problem. And what I actually found, every time I made a mistake, in order to make up, I do maybe two, three times good things. This is good. So even the negative thing is like uh, you know giving birth to many, many good things in life. You know? Well, that seems to come from a nature of humility because. When you're not humble, you don't want to give, you don't want to make things up. How does one become humble enough to develop the art of forgiving themselves or to develop the art of doing something good three times more after they made a mistake? Because humility is connected very deeply to a soul's personality if there is the element of purity. If there isn't this sense of innocence about you, then what the soul is attached to are the labels, the gender, the the position, the role, the titles, and it comes out with a different decision. It comes out with a different intention. It comes out with a different meaning. How do we, how do we soften the ego that is recorded in our souls because humility is lacking in the world like you said truth is limping behind all the bad news and all of that how do we reduce the ego that's in our personality because it's running the world right now see actually in my whole life what what made me humble is i did this much and i always got so much people trusted me more than i trusted myself I considered myself to be totally a very ordinary person and I really say if I can change, anybody can change. If the person who had no self-respect, no self-assurance, nothing, I was almost like nothing but taking this spiritual path, somehow or another what I learned was that being a child of God, you know we say God of my faith, whatever anybody believes in, I carry God's DNA. Take it, like take a challenge. Can you believe, like as we say, we carry our parents' DNA. Can I challenge myself to say, being child of God, I carry God's DNA. Mm-hmm. People even use the word God particle, God genes. Um, people say yes. those words. So I really found God means giving, giving. So because of giving and giving, all of a sudden you find you do this much little and you get so many blessings from people. Yeah. And, and I find one secret. Don't go for big, big things. Mm-hmm. Go always just go near the ground. 
because like nobody can pull you down from the ground <laughs> when you're hype up. Because I have my, my you know, I have had high. You, positions. but you love, but you love big things. Yeah, but you know that from the ground, yeah, you can do big things. You know, when you really think of, you know, how I look at it, we have like in a building, we have steel, then concrete, and then the dirt. Steel is the strongest, but it is being supported by concrete, which is weaker than it, but it's bigger volume. And then foundation, concrete foundation is supported on the ground. And it is much, much weaker than concrete, but the volume, abundance. So this is how I find when I am at the bottom, I can support the whole world, the whole uh -huh. structure. So, and staying, um, because no one, you don't want to become victim of people's jealousy because you're already at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> but you're supporting everybody. That's such a beautiful analogy. I would have never thought of it that way. Wow. It's very beautiful. So in closing, what's your message to the world? What is it that you'd love for every soul in the world to remember or to practice? See, I feel... You keep doing good, somehow good will keep happening to you. Yeah. Never be afraid of being a good person. And start with very small. Don't think of big, big things. Small is like become micro. Mm -hmm. They say act locally, think globally. Mm -hmm. So act micro and think macro. And somehow I find if you feel people are using you, Many times this is come, people taking advantage of me, people using, I say, people take advantage of me because I have advantage. They are at a disadvantage. And if people are using me, that means I am useful. So otherwise I will become useless. Do I want to become useless? Or I rather become useful and so that people can keep using me. As people use me, I keep on becoming valuable. Mm, so. Beautiful. Ram Prakash, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Sister mm -hmm. Jenna. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> that was just amazing. I'm sure that everyone took away so much from my conversation with Ram Prakash. His, his, his spirit, his energy, his wisdom. Heartwarming, isn't it? When I'm with him, I feel like I'm with my big brother, my best friend, my grandfather, just sitting in the living room. I just want him to keep pouring in all the wealth of knowledge that he has. But don't forget to support his project, which was birthed as a result of surviving 9-11. Go to actsofgoodness.org for more information and get involved. I've been in it as much as I can in order to get a lot of us to be a little bit more kinder. Take care, leave us a message, be well. <laughs>